On today's Court Vision, I welcome on a very special guest, of Coach Charlie Parker. He is the owner of Crunch Time Hoops and the head coach of the TBT team, Sideline Cancer. Coach, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Coach, thank you so much for uh, making time for me and coming on the show. Uh, first off, I always ask everyone this, how are you guys doing during the corona times? Like, how are you doing? I know we talked a little um, bit off air about yeah, it. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's, things are going well. I mean, it was rough at first uh, for me as a skill development trainer. Um, after things, when things first started to shut down, I, I did about maybe two weeks of uh, outdoor training. Um, and then when things started to get a little bit more serious back in like the end of March, I think I shut down for a little while, did some like, zoom workouts um, where I was doing workouts out of my basement and uh, when things started to get a little bit better I went back to outside sessions and and you know now you know with social distancing and mask wearing and whatnot we are you know back in the gym a little bit um, which kind of coincided with the time frame that I was at the TBT so things are going pretty good that's good that's really good Um, I want to jump into the TBT now that like you bring it up First of all, how is bubble life? I was living the bubble life. Man, well, it's (laughs) funny because I might be the only one that has, you know, this type of a story, but um, my bubble life was probably more of a struggle than everybody else's. It just so happened that the TV in my room had no volume. Oh, no. So the first first 24 hours, you're not allowed out of the room. And, um, you know, I let the front desk know that my TV didn't work. They asked if I wanted them to send a technician. I said, well, I'm still waiting for these test results to come back. And I'm not necessarily sure I really want anybody in my room. Yeah. So I was going to just wait it out. I was thinking maybe they could move me to a different room once my third test result came back. Next thing you know, like four days had passed. And I just was like, well, I guess I'm just going to deal with it. So I did about 16 days in a hotel room with no television. <laughs> oh, my God. How'd you keep yourself busy? Would you, like, get your phone, just like well, on your phone? Or? I did a lot. I mean, we were – most of the television that I did watch or that I wanted to watch was other t- TBT games. Yeah. So it was weird because I would have it on my TV in the room, but there was no volume. And then I'd be watching it on ESPN.com, but it's like – 45 seconds behind (laughs) so then I'd have to make a decision do I want to watch it live especially when the game was close down at the end and I can hear people in the hallway yelling and screaming or do I want to be 45 seconds behind and actually hear what's going on but you know it was it was a good experience just because of how far we went um they kept everybody safe it was a lot of protocols once you figured out you know what the rules were it wasn't really that big of a deal that's good. I mean, the not TV thing is a little. That's 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 yeah, what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, 16, <laughs> 17 days. <laughs> Especially being that bubble life, man. I can't imagine. Like, can't do much. That's really yeah. tough. Yeah. How was the food, by the way? I heard a lot of Postmates were being ordered. Um. Yeah, we were ordered. Well, we always try to, you know, feed our players. Yeah. You know, some of the other teams' players, I think, are starting to catch wind that, like, if you play for sideline cancer, we're gonna treat you real good. Yeah. Um, you know, so hopefully that helps us in the future. But this was the first year that the TBT offered food. Oh, wow. So we, we were kind of pretty used to making sure that the guys were fed. Usually we would stay at a hotel where breakfast was, you know, a part of the accommodation. 
And then we would take care of lunch and dinner. And, you know, and in, on top of that, any other things that might be needed. Um, so, you know, some of our guys, they just eat a lot. I mean, we had some, you got some six foot, 10, seven foot guys that work out all day long. They're hungry. Yeah. So, you know, the food that the TVT served, it was probably 75% good. <laughs> um, there, was, there was a meal or two where you might not necessarily want to want what they had, but it wasn't bad food. And then, uh, you know, we were ordering Chipotle, Subway, oh, uh, Popeyes, Buffalo Wild Wings every night, every night. Oh, really? That's all the good stuff, though. That's all the, all the really healthy, (laughs) all the good foods and stuff like that. That's awesome. (laughs) So, Coach, I want to get back into it. So, you have been a part of the sideline cancer team for a long time. You were part of the first, you were part of the first TBT with them, correct? Yeah. Now, did you play for them or did you coach for them when you first? I played the first three the first three summers. And then, how did you start getting into the coaching aspect of it? Um, well, our original coach, you know, this all started through like Billy Clapper, who went to high school with Jordan Griffith. Yeah. Um, it was his idea initially, and they had a lot of connections through that area. So, you know, there was there was about three or four guys on our team that had played at Buffalo University. Okay. And this was due to, I think, John Boyer, who's from the area that uh, Jordan is from, had played at Buffalo University. So we had like four guys that were Buffalo graduates um, that first summer. And uh, and the guy that coached also had been a Buffalo grad, I'm pretty sure. His name was Andrew Garcia. Yeah. And uh, so Andrew Garcia coached us the first three years. He took a a coaching a, a head coaching job um going into that fourth tbt and he wasn't he just didn't think that it was going to fit into his schedule especially being it being it it being his first year as a coach he wanted to make sure that summer he spent a lot of time getting his recruiting down and getting things set up for his you know upcoming coaching season so billy called me and said hey and you know he was trying to be respectful i like i said i had played from the beginning Mm-hmm. But my first year playing in TBT was also my last year playing professionally. Yeah. I'm one of those guys that retired way before I really needed to. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was 28. I was still pretty much in the prime of my career. So, you know, after three TBTs, I'm a, I'm like 31, maybe approaching 32. And, you know, I was one of the leading scorers, if not the leading scorer. In most of our games up to that point, Billy asked me if I wanted to be a player and the coach. So he called me and said, hey, Andy's not coming this year. Do you want to be our player coach? My immediate response was that I appreciated his offer, but that I didn't feel that playing and coaching is a good fit, and especially based on how good the tournament is. I I said this tournament is too big and too good to have somebody trying to coach and play at the same time. And I think he knew that too, but like I said, he didn't, I don't think he wanted to force me out of the playing role. I immediately just said, Hey, I'll just, how about I just coach? Yeah. And we'll leave it at that. Um, And then, you know, been the coach ever since. That's awesome. Coach, you like, first of all, great job this year and everything with what you did with them. And like, I, even the announcers were like praising you. You could always hear them like talk about how like you knew, what was going on and it was just awesome to watch you guys this year but like last year you guys made it you beat Wichita 
uh, and you got like to what to the quarterfinals or got, the uh, round of 16 last the round year. of 16 did you feel coming into this year you guys were going to make a run like you did like you did last year we've always felt confident but you know with it being a one and done tournament really i, I mean it might sound cliche but i really only was thinking about one game yeah yeah you know so like billy billy being the gm slash you know an assistant at times especially when he's able to make the trip um you know but this year he wasn't that he wasn't with us but you know he was always on top of things mm -hmm. and you know before it even started he one of the things that he said to me was hey if we win a couple games make sure you have some zone offenses ready in case you're going to face Bayheim's army yeah and that's due to looking ahead in the bracket to see who you might face yeah but like literally up until Oh, the win! I was only thinking about one game. Yeah. Um, and you know, the only time that I actually did somewhat look ahead to uh, a game prior to each round was probably when we played overseas elite, and that was just because it was a back-to-back. -back. Yeah. So when we played Bayheim's Army, we knew that we would have to play overseas elite the very next day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was some thought going into that, but you know, one game at a time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the that's the NCAA tournament motto, and that's like every tournament motto. It's one game at a time. Just take yeah. it. I mean, I will say that we knew we had a chance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it kind of stunk that Diamond Stone went down in the first game. Yeah, but yeah. from last year to this year, we knew that the main thing we needed to add was guys that were in like the six six to six eight range mm -hmm. that were versatile players and we ended up get, adding two of those this year uh billy did a great job bringing in uh jamel artist obviously from Pitt, yep. and he also yep. brought in Dion wright uh that had played at saint bonaventure both of those guys were six seven now artist is more of like a for us he played a two through to four yeah and Dion, we looked at him as a four slash three. He played most of his minutes at the four. He ended up playing some five for us just because Diamond went down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that versatility of guys that are lengthy but can shoot the ball, handle the ball, and defend multiple positions, we knew that that would give us a better chance to make a run. That's awesome. That's 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 great that Billy was able to, you know, you guys were able to put a team together like that with each other. And, like, how do you get – a team to click in such a short time to like play with each other very well in such a short time. Like, <laughs> well, let me tell you, it's, it's, I don't know if it's, it might be easier than people think, but it really, I think just comes down to the character of the guys mm -hmm. and the will and the willingness to buy in, um, you know, not to shortchange anyone, but I know that half of the teams that were in the TBT this year had what, like had legitimate training camps. There were teams in the field that had one week or two weeks of practice before they even went to the bubble. Yeah. Um, we never saw, we never practiced before we got to the bubble. We were supposed to have four practices um, before our first game. We ended up only having three and two of those were on courts that were unplayable. Some of the courts that were inside of the bubble were slippery. Oh. So it was we were unable to play basketball. You know, we, we did a whole bunch of, you know, shooting drills and shooting competitions just to get a little bit of a sweat going. But it was so wet, you couldn't even move 
left to right, even at 50% speed, you might slip and fall. We didn't want to injure our guys. So we literally had one practice where we got to run our offense against defense yeah, and practice defense full speed for about an hour and 20 minutes. And then we went and played team hunts. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. That's, that's like really short term. And you guys, yeah. and it's crazy. Cause, and I'll ask you this, like, what's it like to play a Bayheim's army? These guys that know how to play against each other overseas elite facing you know, Joe Johnson and then playing the, like the golden Eagles team, the Marquette team. Like, what's it like to play like three, these are guys all picked to win the tournament, like the play against these teams, unfortunately. But like, you know, what's it like to play against those guys? Like, back I mean, I think it's fun. Yeah. You know, I mean, some of some, you know, some of our guys were kind of rooting for uh, like a like a team like heard that to get a they upset TMT and then they're playing overseas elite and it was close in the first half. So there, you know, there's people that are like, ooh, like. What if they upset him? That would be crazy. I'm like, no, I want to play them. Yeah. Right? yeah. I want to face Joe Johnson and overseas elite. So I was happy to get the opportunity. For me, I just love competing. And as a when I was a player, I, I felt like I always played better against the better competition. Yeah. You know, I you know, and it's it stinks because that means I was one of those guys that might have played down to the competition at times. <laughs> but like I just like that back against the wall mentality. I like that you know, heavy hitters like haymakers, uh, heavyweights in the in the title ring type of type of match. And, you know, we we always have we've been close to facing Bayharm's Army, but we never made it uh that deep in the tournament before. Cause they're usually a quarterfinal or a semifinal team. Yeah. So, you know, I was really amped to get to play those guys. Um I, I like I said, I think it's fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean that's a great, that's a good mentality to have. But you want the best to get get to make it to beat the best to be the best. Yeah. You know? And what? I mean, how did you come up with a strategy to double team Joe Johnson like that? Like you were just having guys come at him at different times, and it was pretty interesting to watch that. Well, like I said, you know, not only did we only get one real practice before the tournament started, but as the tournament went on, you know, and a lot of you know some high school coaches, I'm sure high school coaches, they just they you know most of them do their thing. Uh, kids are much younger yeah. so you can get away with practicing harder more often you know with pros like even in college when you get to college level you might have a couple of light days a week you know but a lot of times you're going hard in practice well you know that one hard practice we had that was the only one we had we only had nine guys so even in that first practice Jordan Griffith was suited up <laughs> as our 10th man so we could play five on five yeah um so, you know, it makes it challenging. You know, Diamond goes down, and now we only had eight. Yeah. So there were a practice or two where we went half court, and me and Jordan split up on opposite teams and guarded each other, um, especially, like, when we were trying to work on our zone offense. But, the, like I said, the tough thing about Overseas Elite was the fact that we had to play them right after on a back-to-back. Yeah, yeah. So we beat Bayham's Army. And we pretty much had a 50-minute shoot-around the morning of the game against uh, Overseas Elite to prepare for Johnson. And, and then here's another thing that I just am a believer in, right? I was – our team, when you say, how do you get these guys to play together, it was, it was more philosophy-based than X's and O's. Mm-hmm. Philosophy meaning we want to play a certain way, and as long as we're playing that way, 
the guys are free to play basketball. We're not going to put 15 different sets in and you have to go pick this guy and this guy has to cut this way, right? We, we put in a philosophy and some structure and we attacked on offense. And then on defense, we pretty much picked our basic principles and we executed those basic principles at a high level. Um, so when it came to Joe, that morning before the game, a lot of our guys did not want to double it. We were playing such good defense. We had almost kept Bayham's Army under 40 yeah, yeah. points for the whole game. So uh, our guys did not want to change anything up for Joe. My thoughts, the way I approached shoot around that morning was we are going to keep things the same because I don't want to make any adjustments until it's necessary. Yeah. And I believe that when you wait until it's necessary to make adjustments, the adjustments actually work better because they're in the crucial moments and, and the other team doesn't have time to prepare for it. So we actually did not double team Joe the whole first half. I believe he had at least 12, maybe 14 at halftime. Yeah. Finished with 18. We, the morning before the game, I showed them two different coverages as far as how we would double team Joe if it was necessary to do so. So as soon as we got into halftime, I think we were either up or down one, but Joe was hurting us. And, you know, I told him we're going to start implementing it. And, you know, it, it worked out. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a great strategy. It was awesome. And I felt like, no offense to overseas elite, I think they just kind of stopped and started watching him and like you guys just started doing the double team and it just kind of threw them off kilter um and then when uh mo creeks hits that three-pointer it's just like like game goes wow what's what's that what's that feeling like knowing that you're going to the finals i mean that was the craziest feeling i've ever had probably you know (laughs) like i feel you know i've hit it's fun i mean my 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 llc is called crunch time hoops um when i was playing professionally overseas I actually got the nickname crunch time Charlie because I hit like a string of game winners like in back to back to back games so that's that's actually where my my business name comes from but as a coach it's different you know what I mean I feel like if I was the guy that hit that shot I probably would have just stared some people down and (laughs) been real cold face yeah but watching it from the sidelines and knowing that you know the game could go either way. Yeah. Great feeling. Yeah. And he was really emotional after that shot too. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like, it's tough. And then it was tough to see you guys lose, but you know, you guys made a hell of a run. What do you think that does for the sideline cancer, like foundation in itself? Uh, it's done a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the thing that stinks is that it's kind of like um, anybody that's ever had, um, a really, really happy emotion and a really, really sad emotion at the exact same time. Yeah. That's what I've been feeling ever since we left Ohio, ever since we lost, um, even right after the game. So, I mean, we were in the locker room and I was trying to talk to the guys and the coach from the Golden Eagles and Travis Diener walked over, asked if they could talk to us for a second pulled me and Jordan aside and said that they were going to be donating money to the Griffin family foundation. Now, does that mean that our players, you know, just won 90 grand each? No. So it still stinks, but 
you know, we started this thing to raise awareness for pancreatic cancer. And, and literally it's just that, right? So, I mean, the Griffith Family Foundation, if you ask them, you know, the donations that they were gonna get if we won would have been nice, but 100,000 or $200,000 is not gonna cure cancer. Yeah. Their main, their main fight is bringing more and more and more awareness to it. So in one sense, we were really distraught that we lost. And in the other sense, we were really proud of what we've accomplished over the last seven years. Yeah. Sideline Cancer is seemingly now the most popular brand of any of the TBT teams. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the out, the, the, the pouring out of, of uh, support has been tremendous. Yeah. It's, it, it's crazy. I felt like as, and I was talking to some friends in the area too that were, you know, starting to watch it, like some of my friends and stuff, they were just rooting for you guys the whole time because they're like, how can you not root for a team with such, that's supporting such a great cause and bringing awareness to this and that you guys made it to the finals. And obviously it's upsetting. Like I was like my, I was heartbroken. I was watching with my parents, they were heartbroken, but like, yeah, it's, it's crazy that it was going to bring, I mean, it sucks that you guys lost, but it's still bringing so much more awareness to it. And I think it's bringing a lot. Now when you see purple, and I think that was Jordan, we said it on the podcast when he came on here, it was like, I want people when they see purple to understand that's for pancreatic cancer and stuff like that yeah yeah and I, that's that i thought was just the most amazing thing and i think now when we see purple i think we're gonna think about that and see that for sure yeah yeah but i want to now i want to get out of the you know now that we talked about the tbt and uh everything i want to ask you about your crunch time hoops llc how did you get started with that and where did that all come from um it really just started after i finished playing professionally um a lot of parents were asking me if i would um, do training sessions for their kids and I used to and I at first I was always saying no yeah um, but after I was asked a few different times I said well I might as well start something because it seems like people would be interested so it started like six years ago and I've been doing it ever since uh, it became a full-time gig for me earlier this year wow so it's uh it's going well and you know it's really fun that's awesome and where can i can we get any of that gear the hat or the shirt or anything like that so if you follow me on instagram i probably will be putting out some stuff here soon about some shorts that i'm getting ready to uh do an order of um but there i don't have anything on my website yet so there is a crunchtimehoops.com but i haven't gotten all the way to where we're just selling merchandise at all times yeah. Um, so maybe one day, but typically right now it's more of a, you know, one or two orders every year. Yeah. Um, and I really actually just started that last, last summer. Um, so want to try and get the gear out. I've uh, been working on some alternative logos, maybe some slogans to put on some shirts, stuff like that. So there definitely will be more to come. Sweet. Yeah, I want to get one because I'm look at it. it looks awesome. I like the, the the shirt they have on, the hat they have on. I'm a big fan of Thanks. both of those. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to buy some gear from you after we get off the get off the call. But um I also want to ask, like, how did you get into basketball? What was that like? Is it just something you grew up or is it just like a player? I mean, yeah, probably I mean it really was just my dad. My dad had played and I mean I started playing in third grade, like most kids do. Um, I mean, I probably, I had a hoop. I think I got a hoop for the driveway when I was maybe in first grade, but um, usually 
it's either second or third grade that they'll start like rec leagues in your school. And um, that's kind of when I first started playing and, you know, fell in love with it. That's awesome. And how did you decide to go to Millersville? <laughs> you, you want the truth? <laughs> yeah, give me the truth. <laughs> you're, are, you're, are, you're not from Rhode Island, are you? What? Are I you am from, from Rhode Island. Island. I am from you Rhode know, Island. You know a school called St. Thomas More? Yes. That's okay, St. So right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, you know, and this is something that I tell a lot of the kids I train or even just kids that I that I run into through basketball. Um, I've given a speech or two at some high school uh, award banquets, things of that nature. But I always talk about school first because I was a non-qualifier as a high school graduate. So I graduated high school 2003 and... I found out that I was ineligible to get a Division One scholarship. I was actually ineligible to get a Division get a Division Two scholarship as well. Oh. And I know it's, this is like fifteen some years ago. So I I know that the rules have gotten even a little bit more strict now than they were then. But once I graduated, I pretty much had two options, and that was Division Three or junior college. And I didn't want to go to Division Three. But I also, well, I had a Division three coach who was interested in me, but he told my dad that if I went there, he knew I would transfer up after one season. Yeah. So he wanted me, but he also kind of didn't want me because he knew I'd only be there for one year. Yeah, yeah. Ju junior college didn't make sense to me because I'm like, well, that's going to be two years of school, two years of eligibility. And, you know, I didn't really associate junior college with, like, you know, those real four-year schools. Yeah, yeah. So I tried to get into a prep school and I ended up going to St. Thomas More and I knew I had to get my grades better. But, um, and like I said, I think the rules have changed now to where your prep school grades don't even count at all. But at that time, if I would have raised my GPA through prep school, it would have helped me get to division two. Yeah, yeah. But I still was going to be unable to go division one. Mm -hmm. So I did do well in prep school, got my grades where they were needed to be. And um, there were some division one schools that were interested in me, but because I was not qualified for NCAA, I would have had to pay my own way for one year of school, oh, wow. um, which some of the schools that I was thinking about going to would have been like $40,000 a year. Yeah. And it wasn't a red shirt either. Right. So if you're not qualifier, that wouldn't even be like a redshirt year where you can practice with the team. Yeah. It was literally coaches were saying I could go pay my way to that school, not be a part of the team at all. And then if I was eligible as an athlete after one season, they could give me a scholarship. Oh, nice. So it kind of made me decide that I had to go division two. Yeah, yeah. And I then the other, only other thing that I thought about was that if I, I figured that if I was going to Division Two, I might as well stay close to home. Okay. Right. If yeah. I was gonna, if I was a Division One athlete, I'm pretty sure I would have tried to travel to three or four, or eight or ten different schools and pick the best ones. Yeah. But I was going Division Two, smaller school. I said I might as well be close to home and Millersville was close to home <laughs> that's awesome but you had a hell of a career after Millersville I mean you had a hell of a career at Millersville and then you also had a hell of a career after Millersville you ended up playing in the D-League what was that experience like playing in the D-League and everything <laughs> well so my D-League experience was crazy just because in my opinion it was because of going to Millersville 
Yeah. Um, I got drafted by the Reno Bighorns in the fifth round of the draft. There's like a 10-round – I don't know how many rounds it is now, but at that time there was a 10-round draft. And there was about – then you could have free agent signings. Yeah. So we, I went into camp with Reno, and there was 20 players for 10 spots. Um, I went down to the last cut. So there was 12 guys left, and I got cut on the last cut. Oh. And it was – I was heartbroken, yeah. right? And uh, this other guy that got cut with me on the last cut, he was a veteran. He had he had been a pro for a few years. He said, hey, trust me, it ain't going to be the last time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I ended up, you know, I flew home. I was a free agent, per se, for about a month. And then I just got crazy stories of my career, right? Um, I ended up playing for the L.A. Defenders, which are now called the South Bay Lakers. Okay. The defenders had two injured players on their roster, so they were down to eight players. And you have to have eight players on your bench in an NBA game or it's a forfeit. Yeah. Literally, one of their players refused to get on their flight to, to a game a month after I got cut because him and the coach got in an argument and he didn't want to play for the coach no more. And they were flying to go play the Reno Bighorns. So – the LA defenders fly to Reno with seven players needing eight. They get to Reno that evening for a game the next day. And soon as they land, the coach of the defenders calls the head coach of the Bighorns to tell them they might have to forfeit because they don't have enough guys. And the Reno Bighorns coach says, Hey, there's this guy, Charlie Parker that I didn't really want to cut, but I kind of had to cut on my last cut. Like I would suggest you pick him up. I got a call at 10 p.m. that I needed to be on a flight the next morning at 5 a.m. to fly back to Reno. Oh my God. I'm like, I'm going back to Reno for what? They said the LA Defenders picked you up and you play Reno tomorrow. They need you there. <laughs> I got off the flight. I got to the hotel. Somebody that works for the team took my bags up to the room. And then I got, I literally got right out of the taxi and into the team van to go from the hotel to the arena. I never even stepped foot in the hotel. Oh my God. So that's how my D League career started. Oh my God. That's crazy. How tired were you? Four, I had four points and didn't know what offense we were running and <laughs> didn't play that much because I just got there, but they, they played me. <laughs> that's awesome, though. That's awesome. You were able to get four points. How tired were you when you like showed up? I don't even remember being tired. I just remember it being crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. hi, my name's Charlie. You know what I mean? Like, nice to meet you. Let's go play. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. What other teams did you play for in the D League? Um, so the the LA Defenders is the only team that I actually played a regular season game for. Oh, wow. Yeah, I played two seasons with them. And then my third year, um, I was with the Erie Bayhawks. Yep. And they let me go on their last cut that year. That's tough. Yeah, yeah. And that was the end of my D-League career. Oh, man. Did you end up playing overseas, too, as well? So then I went overseas um, after that, yeah. How was that experience? It was cool. Um, overseas, I played two seasons. I played in Iceland, and I played in Denmark. And the interesting thing about my career overseas is just how much success we had, like, on the teams I was on. So, um, you know, if anybody's familiar with soccer – professional soccer in Europe, 
you know, a lot of the European basketball leagues are set up like that, where you have a league championship and then you'll also be associated with some type of cup tournament in the midseason or during the, the middle of the regular season, which is kind of weird, you know, coming from the States. You know, you, you play like a regular season game on Tuesday and on Friday you play a one-and-done tournament game, you know, in the middle of in the middle like of the two season. seasons in one. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I was in Iceland, we won the cup championship, and I got MVP of that game. Wow. And when I was in Denmark, we won the cup championship and the uh, the whole league title in a best-of-seven series. So out of four potential championships I could have won in two seasons, we got three of them. That's awesome. That's so crazy. What's the yeah. – What's Iceland like? What are the fans like over in Iceland and in Denmark? I mean, the fans are just really passionate. Um, the club team fans in, in Europe are kind of like the same as college-level fans here in the States. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where in the pros, you see bandwagon jumping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure that there's some New England Patriot fans that are contemplating being Tampa Bay Buck fans this yeah. year, right? Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> it's not like that. It's not like that in college. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you are a Duke fan, it's straight Duke all day long. Same yeah. with Penn State or UConn or, you know, all of those big club, those big colleges. So um, club teams in Europe is like that. Um, the fans are very loyal and they're very passionate about uh, their teams. That's awesome. That's cool. That's great. You got to experience that, win championships, named an MVP. Uh, you've had a hell of a career, some interesting stories. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> crazy, man. But look at – I mean, you're everything's working out now. Did you get – you don't have to answer this, but did you get any calls from, like, <laughs> interested after TVT or anything like that? I mean, you did an excellent job and, like, handled uh, professional level. Tuned. Just What? Stay tuned. Stay tuned? Oh. <laughs> Stay tuned. That's all I can say. I, I don't know, you know, like – I don't know. There's – there's some conversations that I that I look forward to having with some people, um, and we'll see what happens. That's awesome. That's that's great. So breaking news: Charlie Parker. <laughs> 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 You're here first, though, uh, Coach. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you and your time. Actually, the NBA season. Who's your team? Are you excited for them to come back? All right. So listen, I just got finished talking about bandwagon jumpers. I am a Lakers fan. Okay. Okay. And it has nothing to do with LeBron James. And I'm just going to throw that out there for anybody listening, uh, <laughs> just so that that's known. Most of my friends are diehard LeBron James fans. So when he signed with the Lakers, I got text messages and phone calls that sounded just like this. Charlie, now we get to cheer for the same team. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was a LeBron hater like that. You know, I was, yeah. I was a Kobe guy. Rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. Um, to Kobe Bryant, um, but I was a I was a diehard Kobe Bryant fan, and I've been rooting for the Lakers for twenty some years, and uh, I hope they get a championship this year. They seem like the team that might be able to do it this year. I mean, all that rest could definitely help definitely help them out. I'm sure, and you know. Yeah, help LeBron out, and they have you know they got a lot of pieces, and LeBron and AD are very talented yeah i think that it's just continuing to get everybody else to fit in yeah um you know and now they've signed a couple new guys avery bradley uh didn't join the bubble 
um, Rajon Rondo broke a thumb, I believe. So yeah, that's some that's some firepower and some floor general leadership that they had off the bench that's not there right now. Um, but they do have floor spacers and guys that are willing to, you know, play their role on a defensive end. And, you know, AD and LeBron can get you 60 or 70 combined anytime they want. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it should be an interesting season. Should be mad. It should be good. Imagine going through uh, that with no TV, being as long as they're there, as long as they were. Oh no, 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 no. That that would have been that would have been way harder. Actually, I didn't even realize that the scrimmages were starting, and I I'm sitting here with the wife, and I uh, we were watching something on TV. I threw Instagram on. I saw the NBA. I saw some highlight on the NBA. Yeah. Um, Instagram, and I it was like I never seen that court before. I was like, wait a minute, are they playing basketball? <laughs> That's what happened change, to me too. I, change the channel, change the channel. <laughs> I didn't know that. Like they started early, and I was working, and I like took a look at my phone. And I started the the same thing as you. I was like, oh, I gotta put on the get my TV up here and put on the games and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But next week should be fun. Should be a great start. But coach. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. This is awesome. Great job with the sideline cancer. You're a hell of a coach. Best of Thanks. luck with the future endeavors with everything. We'd love to have you back on sometime, too, down the future. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, Coach. Take it easy. Have a good one. All right. You, too. All right.